Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, Deep State Radio listeners. If you choose to support our work by becoming a paid member, membership is just $5 per month or $50 per year through the end of November. Visit bit.ly slash dsrmember and use code BLACKFRIDAY, all one word, at checkout. That's bit.ly slash dsrmember and use code BLACKFRIDAY, all one word, at checkout. Thank you. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from New York City after a long holiday weekend that included for some of us not one but two holidays unbelievably festive going from thanksgiving to hanukkah and here we are now back in the home stretch to all the big holidays at the end of the year and i'm very pleased to be joined by in california Corey shockey of the american enterprise institute how you doing Corey? i am fat and happy after thanksgiving Oh, that hits too close to home. Glad you're happy. You certainly don't look like any of the worse for wear. And I hope you had a good holiday. Also noted holiday hostess, Rosa Brooks in Alexandria, Virginia. How are you doing, Rosa? I'm very good, David. We got rid of the last leftovers yesterday and I am happy. And when you say leftovers, are you referring to guests or food? (laughs) I shoveled the last bit of mashed potatoes out of the fridge. I see. I see. And uh, I have inside information that uh, David Sanger, I think in Vermont, is still working on his leftovers. How was your holiday, David? Uh, It was very good. I um, have a few of those leftovers, you know, just sitting just out of camera range here so that we don't have to remind everybody on our podcast here that they, too, have leftovers sitting in the fridge, except, of course, for Rosa. Yeah, although... Because we celebrated Hanukkah yesterday, we got a big order of all different kinds of smoked fish from Russ and Daughters, famous emporium of smoked fish in New York. And it's great to have the refrigerator filled with that stuff. No guilt at all. Anyway, a story broke a little bit before we went on the air that uh, the Israeli government has told the United States government that The Iranians uh, have sped up progress on enrichment of uranium and that they are now weeks away, according to Barack Gravid's report on what the Israelis said, from being able to hit the 90% weapons grade level of enrichment of the uranium. David, you've been reporting on this story for a while, and it all seems more relevant as we enter into another round of negotiations on this Iran deal, what do you think the state of play is right now? The only um, surprise out of that is that anybody is surprised. The Iranians have been ramping up their maximum pressure campaign on the United States in advance of 
the talks that began today in Vienna. Of course, the U.S. isn't actually sitting at the table at those talks because the Iranians won't speak with them since President Trump pulled out of the deal three years ago. So this is all being done through the Europeans. That's uh, what's politely referred to in Diplo speak as indirect negotiations. Means I tell you you something and you tell somebody else something, and it's not a great way to. It's like a really fancy game of telephone. (laughs) It it is, and if it didn't involve nuclear weapons, probably a game of telephone would be fine. But since it does, it's a, a problem. So where are the Iranians? They've been enriching uranium at a level of sixty percent. You need ninety percent in order to have something that is bomb grade. But 60% is like if you did this on a football field, just to pick out a Thanksgiving era bit, it would put you on the 90-yard line. So yes, it's probably just a few weeks to be able to get to bomb grade material. That does not mean that you are a few weeks from a bomb, which would require a lot more engineering and probably a year, two years, maybe three years of work. But the Israelis are in a position right now of saying, we don't want the old deal put back together. But they haven't yet suggested what would replace that. So, you know, I think they're looking for some freedom to go uh, continue their sabotage campaign. I reported last week with three of my colleagues that the United States intelligence position on the Israeli campaign is that while it is tactically successful, that is, every few months they've managed to go in and blow up a new facility or two, it is strategically not successful, which is to say the Iranians have sort of built this into the plan and they are rebuilding their facilities as fast or faster as the Israelis are blowing them up. And when they rebuild them, they're rebuilding them with more sophisticated equipment that can enrich to a higher level. So. The question is, are we actually accomplishing much with the sabotage campaign? And is it possible to get back to the old deal? And that's looking increasingly unlikely because the Iranians are demanding two things I don't think Joe Biden can give them. The first is they are demanding that he lift all sanctions, not just nuclear-related sanctions, but all other sanctions. And second, that he guaranteed that no president in the future would go off and do what Donald Trump did in 2018, which is abandon the deal. And Biden can't tell you who's going to be president in three and a half years or whether they would abide to this deal or not. That's true. I mean, when you think of all the weight that Mike Pompeo has lost, Corey, it's clear he wants a chance to blow up this deal again if it ever happens, because uh, he looks like he's grooming himself for a, a run at the presidency, and he's just one of the candidates who might undo anything Biden did. Um, Could I ask, David, what's going on between the Iranians and the UN about inspections? So the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency, which is the UN arm of this, went to Iran a number of months ago and thought he had worked out an agreement about where inspectors would be allowed and equipment that the Iranians would keep operating or preserve data from. It turned out the Iranians did not abide by that. And in one of the facilities in particular that the IAEA is concerned about is a manufacturing plant for centrifuge parts that 
the Israelis, we believe, helped blow up a number of months ago. And when they blew it up, they not only blew up a good number of the centrifuges, they blew up some of the cameras and sensors and other inspection equipment. So the Iranians said, tough luck, you're not getting that back. And of course, the inspectors want to find out what's coming out of that plant as they get it back up and running again. So we're going into a the situation where we're increasingly blind. And that's worrisome because if there was diversion of equipment or materials to someplace we don't know about in Iran, you wouldn't know that from looking at the equipment. Basically, like the Iranians are saying, every time the Israelis blow up a plant, they say, we never liked that plant anyway. And we've got a really good insurance policy. Or we can rebuild it. It's what somebody referred to to me as Iran's build back better. You know, a couple of days ago, a friend of ours, friend of this podcast, Alan Pincus, sent me an article from Aretz in which it was observed that a number of people who were around Bibi Netanyahu when he was urging Donald Trump to get out of the Iran deal, including a former Mossad chief, a defense minister and an IDF commander, are now speaking out against the decision of having gotten out of the deal for some of the reasons we've just touched upon. The former defense minister called the decision to pull out of the deal, a decision he supported at one time, the main mistake of the last decade in Iran policy. And Corey, if David's prognostication here is right about the the future of the deal, it may get worse from here. Interesting to have these Israelis change their tune, although it has also led some other Israelis to start banging the drum for harsher measures against Iran, including attacks. My former college roommate, former Israeli ambassador to the U.S., Michael Oren, had an article in the Times of Israel a couple of days ago in which he said, it may be time to attack in a way presumably different from the small attacks to which David is referring. What do you think of this intellectual turmoil around this deal in Israel, Corey? So I always feel like Prometheus watching his vultures descending when the Israelis tell us what we ought to do. I seem to recall them thinking the invasion of Iraq was a good idea before the invasion of Iraq and being scolded by Israelis afterwards that we had managed to enable Shiite domination of Iraq in the aftermath, which would have been more helpful before rather than after the event. And I feel the same about this. I think it's true that it was a bad idea to leave the Iran nuclear deal. I also think the Israeli government was adamantly in favor of us doing that. So, I mean, we need to make our own decisions. We need to take into account the concerns of our allies, but I wouldn't put too much weight on it because I think very often people have Damascene conversions after they're not responsible for the consequences of things. I can think of, for example, former Defense Secretary Bill Perry being for the abolition of nuclear weapons in retirement that he never was when Secretary of Defense or in other responsible positions. It's important to listen to what allies have to say, 
It's even more important to listen to what allies responsible for consequences have to say so that the Israeli government isn't saying that about the Iran deal. I think we have to take even more consequentially. That said, I am not in favor of our Iran policy. I wasn't in favor of Trump administration Iran policy. I wasn't in favor of Obama administration Iran policy. I wasn't in favor of Bush administration Iran policy, because I think we have two things wrong. The first is threatening to destroy the Iranian nuclear program, which I do not believe any of those presidents were actually willing to do. And the one thing I noticed about America's adversaries, in particular Russia and Iran, that they are terrific at plying the gap between what we claim we are going to do and what we are actually willing to do in the world. And so I think it's literally incredible for us to take that policy. A better policy would be one that as a country gets close to crossing the nuclear threshold. So I'm in favor of all of the nonproliferation measures to keep countries from getting close to the threshold. But once they are at the threshold, I think a better policy is to diminutize the achievement. That is to say, whether or not Iran has nuclear weapons, any attack by Iran on the United States or its allies would lead to the destruction of the Iranian political and military leadership, because that's a threat I think they would take seriously and that we might actually be willing to carry out. Corey, isn't that exactly what the U.S. moved to with North Korea? For years, they said, we will not tolerate a nuclear North Korea. We will not tolerate Then they did six nuclear tests. And then our position changed to, if you ever use them or proliferate them, you'd really regret it. Yeah. But in fact, the historical record proves we will tolerate it. And tolerating it is actually a better choice than war over a nuclear program that we don't under, actually understand the motivations and for which there is a perfectly plausible, this will keep the United States from attacking us motive. It makes the international order more dangerous, more unstable. It makes our diplomacy harder. But I actually do think it is preferable to tolerate a North Korean nuclear program than to go to war to destroy North Korea's nuclear program. Rosa, does the Biden administration have any good options here? Well, they have been trying the old, you know, close your eyes, click your heels together and spin around and chant Jikpoa, Jikpoa, Jikpoa three times. But I think they must be doing something wrong. I think maybe they forgot the candles or something because it doesn't seem to be working. No, I I mean, I think Corey's 100 percent right. I mean, when you demand something that is unrealistic because you're not actually prepared to do what it would take to enforce it. And it's good that you're not actually prepared to do what it would take to enforce it because it would be crazy to go to war over this. You know, then you put yourself in a weaker position. I mean, we have put ourselves in this position. Trump has made it much, much worse. Needless to say, we're in a bad position now because of overly bellicose U.S. pronouncements that we were not prepared to back up for a very, very long time. I also think maybe I'm wrong, but David, you you had shared with us earlier an article by your your former roommate, and we hold you fully responsible for everything he says and does, former ambassador from Israel to the United States, suggesting that Israel cannot tolerate 
Iran even reaching the so-called threshold uh, of being able to create nuclear weapons and that this time, you know, Israel really would do something with unspecified threat, but a threat to be much more aggressive than they have been, potentially use bunker busting technologies that they may or may not actually have, we don't know, and that they don't care what the U.S. thinks because they can't tolerate Iran having the ability to make a nuclear weapon quickly for the simple reason that that's too fast and then they might use it. I can't conceive of the Iranians deciding preemptively to use a nuclear weapon against Israel, right? That, that, that would be a way to guarantee cataclysm and war and the destruction, not only of the Iranian regime, but of many of the people of Iran. I don't think they want to do that. As Corey suggests, if they had nuclear weapons, yes, it's complicated. Yes, it's dangerous. Yes, it would be nice if there were fewer countries in the world that had nuclear weapons, but, but they, like all the rest of us, with the exception of Donald Trump, to whom is an exception to all rules, would say what we all say, which is that we can't possibly afford to use this preemptively because that would be the end. So let's not. The argument that Israel is, in fact, in greater danger doesn't really make any sense to me. And I do worry about, you know, it does sound like the, the Biden administration is trying to politely be a little tougher with the Israelis to say, do not do this, you jerks. This is not going to help. You know, and in fact, so far, you may arguably have been just making things even worse or at least complicating things. Will that be effective? I don't know. What happens if Israel really does take preemptive action that escalates well beyond the intermittent assassinations and intermittent targeted strikes? I don't know. But I do think that we are where we are. I actually think it is a sign of, of, of a good leader to undo a bad policy. It's a sign of a bad leader to undo a perfectly good policy that's working for no reason other than to give the finger of his predecessors, which is what the Trump administration did in pulling the U.S. out of the Iran nuclear deal. But I actually think for Biden, his administration, you know, a good leader is able to say, you know what, we've been pursuing a policy that hasn't been working for either us or the Iranians. You know, let's let's really think hard about whether we need to stick to this. Oh, you can't possibly, we won't let you. It's a red line. Given that we know that this doesn't make sense and it hasn't been working, let's try something different. I, I would regard that as good leadership, but I have a feeling that the White House will view itself as politically unable to shift positions at this stage, which means that we're all going to stay boxed into our respective corners. So, David, I, you know, I think uh, Corey, who's apparently, you know, anti the you know, Iran policy of all of our recent presidents, has described an approach that makes some sense. And as you say, it's akin to the approach that has uh, been our position with regard to the Koreas. But as Rosa points out, uh, this is different from that position because the Israelis are a wild card. And while I, I don't want to in any way minimize the threat Iran poses or the bad behavior of Iran throughout the Middle East, the reality is that the Israelis have made a number of moves here, which have made the situation more complicated. And I might add provocatively, that begins with them getting a nuclear weapon first. But even setting that aside, their views regarding the JCPOA complicated it. And now we could, you know, find somebody taking a perfectly sensible position, such as the one Corey describes, but not being sure how do you contain the Israelis and keep them from doing something that it would be hard for us to defend and hard for us to condemn. How do we deal with that, David? Even harder than that, David, it would be hard for us to condemn. It would be hard for us to defend. 
and it would be hard for us not to get drawn into whatever happened next. And let's say the Israelis did do that and did do a broad attack on the Iranian facilities, which they came close to doing twice during the Obama administration. And let's say the Iranians respond because your territory can't be bombed without you responding. If there's escalation, you know, clearly we're going to have to come uh, at some point to uh, Israel's aid, or in some way we might have to defend shipping in the Gulf and so forth. So in most of the simulations where this sort of plays out, and American officials have done this dozens of times trying to play this out, we usually get sucked into this kind of conflict. And so part of the warning that's going on between the Biden administration and Israel is don't do something that's going to go get us sucked into another Mideast war at a moment that you notice that President Biden is trying to extract us from the region and focus on China and so forth. I also think it's entirely possible that we are going to have to go to the fallback position that Corey describes. We went through time after time in the Bush administration, in which, to my memory, Corey, you served, where President Bush kept saying to us, I will not tolerate a nuclear North Korea. I will not tolerate a nuclear North Korea. And one day at a press conference, I said to him, they've just done some nuclear tests. It strikes me you're tolerating it. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm putting sanctions on Well, we've put every sanction on Iran we can think of. Part of the plan B strategy the Biden administration wants us to think about is what additional sanctions you could go put on Iran. I'm sure there are some. I'm also sure they probably wouldn't be a whole lot more successful at deterring Iranian action than the last 1,500 sanctions we have put on Iran. So the administration at this point is somewhat out of good options. And that's why I think over time, they may well have to turn to the kind of strategy that Corey just described, which is to say, okay, you have a nuclear capability or at least a turnkey capability. In other words, I don't think the Iranians will build the bomb. I think they will walk right up to the edge of it and then issue the warnings about what happens if they ever used it or exported it. Thank you for that compliment that every policy in the Bush administration was amenable to my influence. Oh, that it had been true. It wasn't? Wow. <laughs> we, 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 we would all be better off, certainly, were that the case. We'll uh, come back in a moment. And when we do, I'd like to talk a little bit about whatever options do exist within the context of the diplomatic discussions that are taking place. For the moment, those of you who are leaving us, uh, join us again soon. We've got a lot coming up, including a big episode on the current new variant of COVID, which will come out on Thursday. And I encourage you to, to listen to that, as well as conversation with Martin Indyk later this week about his new book about Henry Kissinger in the Middle East. So we've got, we've got a bunch of interesting programming. So if you're leaving us now, thank you for joining us and uh, follow what we've got coming at the DSRnetwork.com. And if you're staying with us, we'll be back in one moment. 